Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is Etienne Nichols, your host of today's show. Today with me is Chris Bedard. I should have practiced your last name. Apologies, Chris. Uh, <laughs> is that Did I get it right? Uh, Bedard, but it's but fine. Okay. Okay. Glad to have you with you with us on the show. Chris is from uh, BD, and they have developed a, an assay that uh, specifically for screening for cervical uh, cancer. So I don't know if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you have going on over at BD. Yeah, sure. So thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, we um, we have a portfolio uh, of products that are focused on women's health from tests or assays, as we call them, that provide detailed um, information to clinicians to better treat and manage patients, as well as a suite of instruments that um, focus on the automation for the laboratory and improving efficiency. I think what we've gone through over the last three years with COVID uh, certainly has changed our world um, in many ways. And in the diagnostic world, we don't see uh, internally to the laboratory staffing. So automation and opportunities to standardize that type of process is critical, as well as we saw a huge drop off in uh, women going for screening for cervical cancer and, and maybe even for other conditions as the world was somewhat on lockdown, if you will. So we do have some um, new tests, new assays uh, that we believe are, are differentiated as it relates to providing the right information for clinicians. Okay. And one of the things I'm curious about with, uh, well, a, a big company like yours, uh, you, how is it you go about choosing those specific um, treatments to, to target? So obviously oh, this one's for cervical cancer. Um, how, do you, how do you go about some of those decisions that you make? Yeah, I mean, it starts very early on in um, our, um, our research development, our, our medical affairs, our scientific affairs team. We obviously attend many different educational conferences, speaking with industry leading key opinion leaders, looking at new technologies constantly. That's um, part of our organization. That's what they're, they're tasked with. Uh, when we believe there is a need, there's a, a need in the market, there's a need in, in medicine to improve the diagnostic specifically, uh, we employ or bring together a team to kind of, I guess for lack of a better word, vet the opportunity, vet the, the solution that we believe we have, and then move forward in um, a, a, a project that um, is governed by a, a cross-functional team, including research development, again, um, our regulatory teams, quality teams, um, as well as our medical affairs, scientific affairs, but really marketing as well. So we understand the opportunity, um, the value it has in the market, the problem that it solves in the market, and what we believe um, the investment obviously would mean to the organization as we bring it to market. I would say that in my experience, there's great ideas that are out there. And in part of a, a company, I would say one of the hallmarks of BD is really collecting those insights along the process or the project plan, if you will, and making the right decisions along the way, including not moving forward. So that's oftentimes one of the hardest decisions you have to make, but you really have to make sure that the, the product you're bringing to market uh, indeed solves a problem that we have uh, in either um, the US region or globally, and you know, most importantly for patients. So uh, hopefully that answered your question, but I would say it's a very rigorous process and uh, again, it, it um, hopefully comes, results in a, a product that is a high value for, for customers and patients alike. But oftentimes, again, if we don't feel it's, it's ready or we don't feel it's going to um, serve that need, 
then we have to make some tough decisions along the way. And I'm sure every organization most likely goes through a similar process. Yeah. And, you know, our, our audience, it, it spans from small startups to, to large uh, companies. I've worked in both myself. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting to see the differences as they, as they go through those decisions. So um, thank you for sharing that. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, one thing that you mentioned, so you have this essay or the test and the essay, what makes this uh, a little bit different or special in this case? So the, um, the test is called BD on Clarity HPV assay. And what makes it unique, it's, it's really the only FDA approved assay with extended genotyping. Um, extended genotyping provides um, a different information or information that's critical to a clinician to basically manage a, a woman's risk for developing um, cervical cancer or, um, or pre-cancer, if you will. So um, specifically, we have 14 high-risk genotypes that um, have been identified or are utilized in, in most HPV assays. Uh, BD on Clarity in, individually reports six of those genotypes and then groups the remaining genotypes in categories that um, are assigned to the risk they provide in developing precancer or cancer of the cervix. So that's the uniqueness that um, the assay has today. We have um, an FDA approved assay utilizing our SurePath LBC which is a, the collection. And we also have outside the United States, other collection um, types of, of, of material, um, as well as something called home self-collection and that's been CE marked in Europe. So very exciting, um, especially to, to access more women that need to be screened, but again, providing more information to clinicians to better treat those patients. Yeah, that's, that's very cool. Uh, my wife's actually a critical care nurse. So we spent some time in Malawi, Africa, and uh, uh, she actually was on TV for talking about cervical screening there in Malawi. So it's oh, something wow. she cares yeah. a lot about. Uh, it's definitely something that the world needs a little bit more of. So that's really great. Um, sure. Yeah, go ahead. I don't know if you had something. No, I was just going to say we have a, um, an arm of the organization that um, you know looks at the, the global health needs and, and is very focused on um, you know women in Africa and providing uh, this type of test that, again, provides more information to clinicians. You know, one thing that we found, if, um, if I may, may just continue Please with that. Please, go, yeah. Um, routinely, there's genotypes, um, and I don't want to get too technical, uh, there's genotypes 16, 18, and 45 that have been recognized as, um, you know, potentially high risk for the pre-cancer or cancer, but there's also an HPV 31 that um, this assay is the only assay that individually reports HPV 31. 31, excuse me. And we know that it's even more, women are at actually more higher risk for developing that precancer or cancer based on this, this genotype. So there's a different pathway uh, potentially for clini clinical management. Um, and it, it's something very serious. And, and we were very, very focused specifically in the US and making sure that clinicians and also women are aware that this, this, this type of information is available utilizing the BD on Clarity HPV assay. Yeah, that's cool. I appreciate all the work you're doing in that in that uh, realm. Then that's cool. Um, okay, so if we go back to the development of the assay, um, a couple of things people you know care about when when we we're talking about the development process. Obviously, length of time, costs. I don't know how much detail you could give there, but um, whatever detail you can, it'd be interesting to know. You know, just a, a company such as BD, how you how you approach those things or how, what, uh, what the outcome is, but also what kind of challenges you might've faced. I don't mean to throw too many questions at you at once, but can you speak to some of those things? 
you know, I, I, I probably would be best providing you or your um, viewers a link to our um, a website that actually walks through our, our FDA clinical trial and provides um, a lot of great information. I will say that this assay um, has um, approval for the, the three testing paradigms that um, are utilized in the US and even globally. Um, they would be uh, cytology or primary cytology screening, uh, co-testing, which uses cytology and also HPV molecular testing, and then HPV primary screening. And in order to get um, all three testing paradigms uh, approved via the FDA, there was an extensive clinical trial that did take place, uh, again, spanning many years because we had to look at women that were testing positive for HPV, the genotype, and then the eventual outcome as it relates to developing precancer or cancer. But again, I, I'll provide the link to the, the sure. website that will really walk your, your viewers through um, some very, uh, I guess, yeah. critical information as it relates to the clinical trial. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll put the link in the show notes then. Um, so I don't know if you wanted to also talk about, um, maybe we could talk a little bit more about why this is important. I mean, you mentioned um, what it does and some of the things and how it works. Maybe we talk a little bit about why a screening like this is so important. So I think um, maybe it's important for the viewers to know that um, HPV is the most common sexually transmitted infection in the United States. So it's estimated that over, over 79 million Americans are infected with HPV. And it's not to scare people. It's really to say that it's very common um, STI, if you will. But in, the most, in most cases, it goes away on its own and it doesn't carry health problems. But if it does not go away, um, it can lead to um, other uh, in, you know, other problems such as genital warts or cancer. So again, it's important for, for women specifically to be screened um, on a routine basis because cervical cancer, you know, can, is not, is, um, what's what I'm looking for? Cervical cancer, um, when identified or HPV, when we identified early enough in screening, we're able to treat the disease accordingly and really eliminate that potential for, for women to have, you know, obviously negative impact for developing um, cancer or cervical cancer. Right now, um, the, the CDC does estimate that there's over or nearly 200,000 women that are diagnosed with a cervical precancer. 11,000 are diagnosed with cervical cancer due to an HPV infection. And unfortunately, approximately 4,000 women will die. So it, it's really uh, important to understand that these are preventable um, deaths. These are uh, women that, if they're screened routinely and and you know accurately, if you will, can eliminate this from being the the result of an HPV type infection. Yeah. That, so with that, those kind of numbers, I'm curious what what the imp. You may have mentioned already the impact a little bit earlier of the pandemic, but um, what do you think uh, that ongoing that has been? So I think um, we're seeing women, and this is on a global basis, not just in the US, obviously, uh, we're seeing women returning to testing. Um, we're seeing, uh, again, um, our, our view of healthcare changing based on the, the pandemic. So we know that even beyond this discussion, people are looking at digital consult with clinicians and things like that. So I think um, even in the world of, of routine screening, you know, women are looking for alternatives as it relates to access to healthcare. So um, I think the pandemic, you know, obviously a huge, a huge problem issue across the board has really, uh, I think as on a personal level has forced people to think differently about healthcare. 
And I think in, in, in that way, um, organizations like BD and, and other companies are thinking a little bit differently about how we, how we provide that, those needed tests or diagnostics to our customers as well. So that's on a high level basis. I, again, I think women are going back to being tested. And I know that there's a lot of patient advocacy groups that are um, asking women or reminding women that it's important. And even beyond women, um, you know, also for, for men to be screened for, for other types of cancer, but we really need to get back to that routine uh, type screening because it's critical as it relates to, you know, obviously the, the healthcare of our society. So uh, again, I, I think we're in a better spot than we were, but we're not finished yet for sure. And maybe maybe this is my ignorance of your particular assay. How does it work as far as uh, in the clinic or at home? I assume this is in the clinic, or right. So um, a woman would be would um, go to her primary care physician or OBGYN for an annual um, uh, test or a visit, if you will. And based on various guidelines that clinicians are following, they'll be screened on a on an interval. Um, today, the American can the American Cancer Society, if, if using primary HPV screening, recommends a five-year type interval for screening, but there's other, again, testing paradigms that are different. So um, the sample will be, be collected and then sent to a laboratory for testing. And, and then the, the result would be provided back to the clinician. You know, generally within, it, it really depends on the laboratory, but generally within 24 to sometimes you know, 48, 72 hours. And then certainly based on a, a negative uh, result, that result will be provided to the patient. And then certainly for a positive result, additional discussion will happen between the, the patient and, and the clinician. Again, this is where extended genotyping comes in, where having that level of detail uh, provides the clinician more information to make the right decisions. We, we like to say more information equals more precise care. And, and that's really what it's all about in the world of um, cervical cancer screening. Yeah, I like that saying. That's really good. Um, okay, so when you talk about the maybe the total life cycle of this assay, so you, you mentioned a several-year clinical trial. Um, I'm sure there's lots of other different things that you faced uh, throughout the development of this of this uh, specific screening test. Um, what advice do you have for medical device professionals who may be in a maybe a similar situation or maybe developing something um, with the goal of improving the quality of life? What advice can you give those people? So I think um, maybe it goes back to my initial comments where, you know, you, you, you have an idea um, at the time of the development, it's, you know, very forward thinking, um, but you need to be honest with yourself as you go through the development process and um, as the market changes. Again, that's number one. I think um, the insights specifically for this type of testing are along aligned with um, what we call market shaping in, in marketing. So making sure that the policy and the reimbursement is aligned with the value that your product is offering. So uh, again, in the US specifically, there's multiple organizations that make recommendations for screening. So making sure that those organizations are aware of your product and the value that it brings to patients and obviously to clinicians and in, in healthcare systems, but also making sure that um, in our um, healthcare system, you know, reimbursement for outpatient is something that we need to be aware of and make sure that um, those organizations, you know, third-party payers, Medicare, Medicaid are, are also aware and are able to reimburse for the, the, the test. So I think it's um, along the lines of making sure your product is uh, addressing a clear customer patient market need 
Um, and then you have the commercialization that um, supports the, the awareness in the market and the enablement of clinicians and patients to use your test. So, you know, not using fancy words like market shaping, you know, our, our, your market will need to be ready to receive your solution. And um, all of your regional commercialization teams will also need to be ready. So it's a, a combination of the right product at the right time with the right team aligned to be able to provide that, that product in the market. So again, it's a very um, uh, cross-functional type thought process. And it's all about making sure that your, your company and your market is ready uh, for, for your solution. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and when I think about market shaping, obviously, we just mentioned the pandemic. If I go back to what you said at the very beginning, that opened a lot of doors for a lot of companies to maybe make COVID tests or things, but it probably closed some doors too for you know, somebody making, a, um, I don't know, an, an accessory for an optional surgery. You know, that's, that, those, were, those were closed for a little while. So understanding and being willing to say no to your point earlier, uh, as far as closing down a project is, is pretty critical. We're not usually willing to do that. Um, that's a great point. So okay. I think people have passion about what they do and it's very hard to say, okay, your baby's ugly, right? It's very yeah. hard to, to kind of um, put that spin on it, but you really have to be honest because the investment that so many companies make in, in product development, if you're not able to deliver on that investment, it's certainly not optimal for the organization. And again, I think um, the pandemic um, taught us a lot uh, we came to market with BD specifically with multiple COVID tests in record time. Um, but again, I think uh, hopefully we, we never have to go through that again, but I think it also taught us a process that um, maybe we can accelerate development in certain instances when, when it's required. So that was a, a good outcome, if you will, from COVID, but certainly there was more bad than, than good. And then that goes without saying for sure. Yeah. Um, and you, you mentioned the reimbursement side. A lot of people may, I think there's a lot of companies too that expect to be acquired prior to, to manufacture. So they may not think with the whole picture in mind, but um, that's certainly a good piece of advice as well. Definitely a good yeah. takeaway. Yep. Um, great. So um, I guess maybe mention, let's talk about where people can find you and, uh, and yeah, any, any closing thoughts you might have, we can uh, go, go, go ahead. No, for sure. I'm, I'm, I really appreciate the opportunity. And again, um, I believe that the focus that BD's had on women's health, um, especially around uh, cervical cancer screening and also vaginitis is very unique in the marketplace. And I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of, of the organization. I, I'll send another link to our website for the US that is very much focused on women's health um, and, and provides a great deal of information. Uh, and I can be found, um, I can send my, my information as well through, through, through the chat. But again, uh, it's a, a great opportunity to, to change or to like to say shape the future of women's health with some of these innovative, tool, innovative tools that we have. And not to forget our laboratory partners to make it uh, more efficient and easy for them to bring on new innovation. And that's, you know, that kind of completes that circle from the patient through the laboratory and providing those right results. Absolutely. All right. We'll put those links in the show notes. Um, those of you who've been listening, uh, thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate all the work you're doing and all the work BD has done already and is continuing to do. So very much appreciated. Um, thank you so much. Those of you who've been listening, you've been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast, and we will see you next time. Thanks. Thank you. Bye.